Well, good morning. Welcome. If you're new, my name is Jonathan. I'm the lead pastor here. And I just want to say to you a special welcome. Glad that you're here and uh, joining us. And to all of you, again, it's just a pleasure to be with you uh, on this day as we, as we open God's Word, as we look at what it is that He says. We're back in our series in the book of Exodus. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me uh, back to Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. And we are continuing this series on, uh, on the life of the people of Israel and the exodus that happened. And today we are going to look at the moment when the nation of Israel is born. And I don't know if you've ever been at the birth of a child. Uh, it is a bit of a traumatic experience, right? I mean, I mean th- there is a, a fair bit of pain and, and trauma in it. And yet when it's done, when that, when that child is born, it is such a, a beautiful experience. It is just, there's nothing like it. In fact, uh, that's how birth is, right? I mean, it has this long period of sort of expectation. And along the way, there's some challenges usually and some obstacles. And then there's this, this sort of very traumatic experience, uh, lots of pain. But boy, when, 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 the, when that baby is born, when the doctor, the nurse, the midwife, when they put that baby in your hands, it is so absolutely, utterly beautiful in every way. And that's really what we're going to look at today. Today, this passage is the moment after this very traumatic experience where the people of Israel are born as a nation. And so let's read it together, and then we're going to talk about what it means, uh, what it meant for them and what it means for us. So Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 29, here's what it says. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry for their clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians." And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any previous for themselves. The time of the people of Israel in Egypt was 430 years At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. So after all these years, in fact, after 430 years, as Moses points out here, on this night, a people who are not a people become a people. On this night, they become the nation of Israel. And not just any nation, they become the people of God. And on this night, the people of God, they they receive from God an an identity, a sense of of who they are. They receive from God this sense of of community where they're connected to one another, and they receive 
this purpose. And, it's, and, and therefore, they have this sense of, of who they are and how they're to live and what it is that they're all about. And it's, it's interesting that what, what God did on that night is incredibly instructive to us because of what Jesus has done for us. Because what Jesus did for us is that he has made us to be the people of God. And therefore, uh, we walk to, in the way that he calls us as his people. Listen to what the Apostle Peter writes. He says this, Writing to the church, he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special position, possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See what the Apostle Peter is saying? He says, just like the people of Israel, there was a point when we weren't the people of God. We, we, we weren't. And then... All of a sudden, we were. God gave birth to, to his people, to the church. And in fact, he says we are a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And so that means that like, like the Israelites, we have an identity, we have a connection, and we have a purpose. And it's, it's fascinating that it's very similar to what the people of Israel had. And so we're going to look at what happened for the people of Israel, and then we're going to look at what it means for us as the people of God in this day and in this place. You know, as I've already noted, the the people of God were born through this traumatic experience, the the death of the firstborn of Egypt. I mean, God went through the land of Egypt and he literally killed the firstborn in every household, including the firstborn of all of the livestock, except for when he came to a household where there would have been a sacrificial lamb that had been killed and the blood of that lamb was on the doorpost and wherever he saw that, he passed over that house, which meant that he passed over all the people of Israel. But it was out of that traumatic experience, it was out of the, the pain of that, 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 that Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go now, go and be the people that God has called you to be. And it's fascinating to see that, that the people of Israel became the people of God, not because they were the greatest people in the world. They weren't. I mean, the Egyptians were the greatest people in the world. And the people of God, they became the people of God, not because they chose God. They didn't choose God. God actually chose them to be his people. And they became the people of God not because they rescued themselves, not not because somehow they figured their own way out of slavery. They became the people of God because God rescued them from slavery. And they became the people of God not because they were somehow good enough to deserve it, but rather because God provided a, a, a sacrifice, a lamb that would pay the price so that they wouldn't have to face death. And 40 years later, 40 years after wandering through the wilderness, just before they entered the promised land, Moses reminded the people of Israel who it is that they was, what their identity was. Here's what he says. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he bought, brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, the people of Israel, they, they were a chosen people because God chose them. And they, and they were a rescued people because God rescued them. 
And, and they were a people that were not so great. They, they, were, they were just slaves, but God loved them. That's why he chose them. And that, that's us too. I mean, that's our identity. We, we are a people who have been chosen by God. And, and we're people who couldn't rescue ourselves from our slavery to sin. It was only through Jesus that we could be rescued from that kind of slavery. And we were people who found life and not eternal death because of the sacrifice of what God has done, because of who he was. You see, like the people of Israel, we are a people chosen because he loves us. And it's important that we don't forget that identity. You know, we live in this culture that is just all about our, our individual you know, needs and desires. And if we're not careful, we can begin to think that we chose God, that, that he should be pleased, that he should be so happy that, that we would grace him by choosing him to be God in our lives. And that therefore somehow he owes us, that he owes us a good life, an instant answer to our prayers, an ease in all that we do. You did not choose God. He chose you. Just as he chose the people of Israel. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I mean, if you, if you go back and read what Paul writes there, it's all and everything that God did. He chose us before the foundation of the earth. He predestined that we would become sons and daughters before you and I even took a breath. He was the one who shed his blood so that we could be redeemed. And he's the one in his grace who lavishes so many good gifts upon us. It's all him. It's all his sovereign work in our lives. You see, that's what we've been talking about all through this, this series, the incredible, amazing beauty of the sovereignty of God. I mean, I mean it goes back to, to, to the, the day when, when, of all the people of the earth, God chooses a man named Abram and his wife Sarai to be the father of a great nation. He calls them out of that land and he says, I will make you a great nation. But from a human perspective, it was a terrible choice because they were a dysfunctional family and they couldn't have any babies. So how was it that they could possibly be the father of a great nation that would bless the world? And yet God in his sovereignty chose them. And when they were well past when anyone could have a baby, God in his grace granted them one baby, one child. And yet in his grace and his sovereignty out of that child, God would grow an entire nation. And then, and then years later, his grandson Jacob, along with his 12 sons and their families, they left the land that God had promised to Abram. And they went instead to, into the land of Egypt. Seems like a foolish decision. And yet God in his sovereignty ordained that. And there in the land of Egypt, God multiplied the people in the face of utter opposition by the most powerful government of the day. God grew his people because he is sovereign in what he does. And now in his sovereignty, God rescues the people. They couldn't have hoped to rescue themselves from their slavery. But God, because he is sovereign, he rescues them and he calls them out. And he leads them there. You see, God, God did it all. He initiated it all. He made it all happen. And their role was to respond to his initiation. Their role was to, to listen and to be obedient. Their calling was to be ready in the middle of the night with their bags packed so that the moment God said, now you go, that they would go. That, that's how God's work 
in his sovereignty works. We are to trust him because of his great power. And we are to trust him because of his great love. And that's our identity too. I mean, if you think that God chose you, that this was your, your choice to follow after God, then, then you don't really fully understand what the Bible teaches about what it means to be a son or daughter of God. I mean, he chose you from before the foundation of the world. He initiated the call on your life. His spirit came and drew you. And as he brought you to life, even though you were dead in your sins and trespasses, then, out of that, then you responded and said, yes, God, I choose you. I, I want you in my life. You know, if we forget our identity as the people of God, if we forget what he has done for us, then we become whiny and demanding and ungrateful. I mean, we begin to think that God indeed owes us, that it's never enough that what he has done for us. And we miss out on what it means to be the people of God. We become like, we become like people who have born in this nation and have never traveled to another third world country. And we, we look around, we're middle class, we've got all kinds of good things, but all we can see is what everyone else has. They got more and what the government do, does and it's not, not good and how we don't have enough of this or that. And it's when you travel to one of those other places in the world that you realize, oh my goodness, the wealth that we have in this nation, that, that if we're born here, we didn't do anything to deserve, just happened to be born here. And the freedoms that we have is the kind of stuff that people around the world would long to have. And you see, this is the problem. If we lose our identity, we begin to become whiny and ungrateful and demanding, not understanding the incredible wealth and the incredible grace that God and His goodness has poured out on us. That's the identity that we have in Christ. That, that's the identity that we have as the people of God. It is so important that we don't forget it. That's the first thing that the people of Israel get here as they become a people of God. This, this birth out of this Traumatic experience that reminds them of what God has done for them and who they are. Second thing that happened on the night of the Exodus is that the people of Israel became a nation. They became a people. You know, when, when Pharaoh called Moses and said, take your people and go, all the people of Israel didn't go back to their homes and, and get their stuff and pack it all up and walk out and, and turn to their neighbor and shake their hands and say, it's been so nice, nice knowing you. I'm going south. And that guy says, I'm going east. And this guy says, I'm going west. They didn't just scatter and go their way. Say, well, now we're free. Nice to know you. No, 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 no. They were saved by God into a nation, into a people, the people of God. In fact, it's fascinating to see uh, the word that uh, Moses uses when he describes what happens. In verse 41, he says, At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. That word hosts, that's a military term. That, that has the connotation of people marching in formation. Another translation uses the word divisions, like as in the division of an army. In other words, the freedom that, that God gave the people of Israel wasn't just freedom to just be their own individual followers of God doing their own thing. It was a freedom that came with being in a nation, in a community together with other people. And the same is true for us. The Apostle Peter, again, in this passage that we're looking at in 1 Peter, writes this, You are a chosen people, a holy nation. Now we've talked about the chosen people part. God chose us. Now let's talk about the holy nation part. 
Holy simply means set apart. It means that we are to live in a way that is different than the world around us. So they say, wow, these people, they live differently because of who their God is, because of what God has done in their life. But, but not set apart as a bunch of individuals, but set apart as a nation, like the people of Israel, a holy nation. William Willimon writes this. The most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community that there can be no explanation other than that something decisive has happened in history. You see, that's, that's what it means to be a holy nation. That, that's what it means to, to, to be what God calls us to do. The theologian Karl Barth, he, he writes this. The church exists to set up in the world a new sign, which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner, which contradicts it in a way that is full of promise. Such a great statement. The, the call in our lives when we become followers of Jesus isn't to just go do our own thing individually. It's to become a community of people that lives dissimilarly, so radically dissimilarly from the world that we give hope to the world. Not that it looks like we're judging the world, but rather that they look at us and say, man, there's something there. There's a hope that they find there. But, but that requires from us a deep commitment to one another as we walk together as the people of God. You know, again, we live in this culture that is utterly geared towards individualism in every way. I mean, we live in a, in a world where all of the structures and all of the ideas point away from being in this strong community that requires us to sacrifice for one another and towards always looking out for what is best for ourselves. But that's not what God calls us to. God calls us to be together in this community. That's what he saved us into. Not just into a personal relationship with me and God and a vague association with other Christians who happen also to have a personal relationship. No, no, no. He called us, he saved us into being the people of God. And that means that we don't just shake hands with each other once in a while and say, I'm going this way, you're going that way. Maybe I'll bump into your church sometime. No, no, no. It means that, that, that we need to, to walk together in this deep sense of community. That, that means that we need to choose accountable relationships with one another over loose networks. Now, there's a place for loose networks. I mean, LinkedIn is a great example of a loose network of people and, and you make connections and you, maybe you get a job here or there, whatever it is, that, that's fine. But, but the fact of the matter is the church, our church, the church is not meant to be a loose network of relationships. It's built on the foundation of a close-knit community of people who, who are not only genuinely vulnerable with one another, but who are deeply committed to serving and to caring for one another. It means that we're a community of people who don't just leverage our connections for our benefit, but rather who seek in community to the benefit of each other and the benefit of the city in which we live in. So this is what it means. If, if you're obedient to God, if you are faithful to what Jesus calls us to, the expectation is that you are part of the people of God, not just some loose connection of people networking here and there along the way. And, and the fact of the matter is, if, if you just view the church as a loose network of connections, then the first time there's conflict, you're gone. 
Right? You just leave one loose network of Christians to, to go to another loose network of Christians. But if that's all that the church is, then it loses a great deal of its power and its attractional ability. You see, if, if there's never any interpersonal conflict in your life, if there's no element of your character that is ever challenged or confronted, then the fact is that you're not actually in community. Then you're just part of a network of people that are kind of doing their own thing. Close community. Close community causes us to be confronted. It challenges us to grow. It does it in love. But, but even when there's conflict, it remains united. It remains together even in our disagreements because it's defined by this deep sense of unity and loyalty that comes because of what Jesus has done in our life. We're called to live and to walk together in community. And when we do, it's so powerful. It's so attractive. Listen to what the, uh, Luke tells us about the, the day that the church itself was born. He says this, speaking of the day of Pentecost, those who accepted his, Peter's message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They became part of the people of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, that's the church. But when we live that way, it's so profoundly different than the world that, that we find favor in the eyes of the world. They say, I, I want to be part of that. I, I want to be part of this group of people that live so differently because of what God has done in their lives. It's the second thing that it means to be the people of God. It means being together in community. And then finally, there's one last thing. They, people of God, they have a purpose. They're called to something. You know, when... when when Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron in the middle of the night, he calls them in. He says, go, get out. I don't want to see you around here anymore. Take all the people. And what were they to do? He says, you go and serve the Lord as you keep saying. And we've talked about this word serve. The, 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 that Hebrew word serve, we've talked about it already a number of times. All throughout the passages that we've been looking at in Exodus, it can be translated either as the word serve or the word worship or the word work. Because you see, in the ancient world, those things were not compartmentalized. Your worship wasn't different than your work, which wasn't different than your service. All of your life was worship to God. Your work was an act of worship. Your, your, your worship was in your work. You served in the different ways that you did out of worship and as work. It all just ran together. And you see, this is the picture again of what it means for us to be the people of God. Back to this passage we're looking at in 1 Peter Peter says this, but you are a chosen people. We've talked about that. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. We've talked about that. God's special possession. He says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That expression, called you out, that, that, that's a Greek expression made out of two words. Ek, the Greek word ek, which means out. And the Greek word kelestanos, which means called but when you take those two words together, when you put ek and kalistanos together, it becomes the word ecclesia. And ecclesia was a, was a Greek word that meant the, the called out ones. But in the ancient world, it had a broader meaning. It meant an assembly of people who were called out from among the people to deal with the issues in the city, to solve the problems, to bring solutions 
to, to make it better, to flourish. That's what ecclesia means. That's what it means to be the called out. And the early church, the, the, the church of the New Testament chose to take on the name Ecclesia to refer to them, which means that all throughout the New Testament, everywhere that you read, not everywhere, the vast majority of places that you read the word Ecclesia, it is translated into English as the word church. The church is the called out assembly of people called out to serve the, the flourishing and the goodness, not only of the people in that assembly, but of the city in which that assembly meets. And they, they didn't have to do that. As I talked about not long ago, they, the, the early church could have identified themselves instead as a privatist cultist, a, a private cultic little group of people that were just interested in only that which was about personal salvation in the afterlife. But the early church said, no, no, we are not going to do that. Which means that our worship is about much more than just what happens on Sunday mornings. Our worship is in our work and in our service, just as it was for the people of Israel. In fact, you know, last week, if you were here, we talked about the word liturgy. Uh, a liturgy, uh, we defined it this way, as a formative love-shaping ritual. And we talked about on Sunday mornings when we share communion together, when we share the Lord's Supper, that's a liturgy. That is a, a formative love-shaping ritual that shapes our heart to love and to know God. It's a beautiful thing. But the fact of the matter is, in the early church, the word liturgy was much broader than just that, that ceremony that happens in the church. The word liturgy was used in the ancient Roman world at the time of the early church to refer to public acts of service by private individuals for the benefit of everyone in the area. So for instance, if you were a private individual and there was a road that ran across your land and came to a, a creek and you built a bridge over that creek so that the public could pass across your, your property over the road and keep going. If you did that, that was called a liturgy. It was your public work for the benefit of others. Or if you did military service and you paid for your own military service, you paid for your expenses and your armor, that was considered a liturgy. Or if you put on an entertainment for the people in your city, that was called a liturgy if you paid for it. So it was this idea of public acts at the expense of the individuals for the benefit of everyone. And the early church, the early church said, this is how we're going to define our worship, as liturgy, as work, through the way that we do things for the benefit of others, as well as what we do in our private ceremonies or in our Sunday morning ceremonies. And it's very intentional because, you see, the early church could have chosen a different word to describe what they do. There was another word used by those private cultists, those sort of little us-only kind of uh, groups that were just having their own spiritual worship experiences. They also had ceremonies, and they were called in the Greek language orgia, from which we get the English word orgy, right? And an orgia... Uh, in that world was defined this way, an ecstatic rite that were largely private and excessively indulgent. It's fascinating to think about. The early church said, we don't want our worship to be excessively indulgent and just about us alone. We don't want to have some sort of religious orgy. We're doing liturgy. We have these ceremonies that shape who we are, but we have this worship that is work that we do for the benefit of the people around us. That's what it means to be 
part of the church. We are to be this alternate society, this, this creative minority that's deeply engaged in loving God and serving our one another, but also then serving our city. You know, it's fascinating here when the Israelites, when they went to leave on the Exodus, God told Moses to instruct them, look, before you go, you go to your Egyptian neighbors, the people around you who are Egyptian, and you ask them for silver and golden clothing, and they'll give it to you. And in fact, they did. They loaded them up. They gave them everything that they asked for. And, and Moses writes here, he says, in this way, they plundered the Egyptians. In other words, in this way, they were paid back for all the years of slavery that they had worked for free and got no compensation. But the plundering of the Egyptians wasn't just so that they would get paid back. In fact, later on, if you read through Exodus, there comes a point where they want to build a tabernacle, a place to honor God, to worship Him. And then the Israelites, out of the, the, the willingness of their heart, they gave all kinds of gold and silver, the stuff that they'd received from the Egyptians, to worship, to worship God. And um, <clears throat> when it comes to us, on the day that the church was born, on the day of Pentecost, what happened for us is that God also gave us gifts. The gifts came in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit de descended upon the church and he brought power to the church, but also Later on, it tells us that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, what, what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. And it doesn't matter who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you give your life to follow Him, the Holy Spirit gives you these spiritual gifts, passions and talents and skills and abilities. And, and, but He gives them to you not just for your own benefit. He gives them to you because we have this calling, this purpose to fulfill that God has given us in our lives. Again, the Apostle Peter writes this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received from the Holy Spirit to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you, which means that he has given you gifts, spiritual gifts to use, not just for your own benefit, but for the sake of the people of God and the mission that God has put us on. And the question is this, do you know what those gifts are? And are you using those gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, for the, for the, for the people of God, and for the acts of worship that he calls us to do in the community, in the city around us? You know, if you've been here a long time, and you're doing that. I mean, you're, you're using your gifts, you're serving, you're, you're giving financially to, to the ministry that God has called us. If you're doing those things, I just want to say again, thank you. Thank you. I mean, God ultimately is the one who thanks you, but, but thank you for your faithfulness. This is what God calls us to as the people of God who have been redeemed and, 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 and rescued and chosen. It's an act of worship to use our gifts and, and to give of our resources to fulfill the mission that God has given us. On the other hand, you know, if, you, if you've been here a long time and you, you haven't been serving, you, ha you haven't been giving, you, you, you haven't been using the, the gifts and talents that God has given you, you know, the call today is to start or to start again. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you know, we've had a bad experience. Sometimes we've just got weary and we've needed a rest. And, and there are times and places for that rest. But when that rest is done, when it's time, the, the call has come. Use your gifts. Use your talents work that way. And, you know, sometimes people just never, they didn't know. This is the first time they've understood. It's not just about a personal relationship, just me and Jesus. 
No, no, I'm part of this people of God. And we have this calling, this mission. And part of it is to use the gifts and talents that God has given me in whatever way he has gifted me for the sake of what we're doing. And you just need to start today. And maybe some of you know all of that. You're just being disobedient. And if that's you, I mean, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But if he's convicting you today, don't ignore what he's telling you. Come, use the gifts, join what God has called us to do. And then others of you, others of you are new to our church. You're new to our ecclesia, to this called out group of people that are called to, 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 to worship God by serving in our city. And to you, you know, you've joined us since fall. Many of you, you've had the chance to, to listen to us preach you know that, that we love the Word of God. We're committed to following what Jesus calls us to, what God calls us to. And you've had the opportunity to worship with us and, and to get to know us and to hear our heart and understand the vision. And for you, the call is, now's the time. Now, now's the season. If you're not already giving, to, to begin to give. And, and if you're not already serving, to roll up your sleeves and say, I've got this gift that God has given me. Oh, I've got this passion that God has put in my life. I've got this skill that the Holy Spirit has, seems to have given me, and I'm going to use it. And, and you know, that, that may be formally here in the church. There's lots of places to serve formally in this church, where there's programs and ministries, and we need you to come and help us because we have this mission. But for, 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 for lots of cases, it's, it's informally. It's in your workplace. It's in your neighborhood with your neighbors. It's with your friends and your family. Like, there's not a judgment if you're not part of a program here that you're not serving. You know. You know before God, are you using the gifts and talents that he has given you for the sake of the kingdom, of what he wants to do? And I know already that many of you are doing that. You know, just uh, earlier this week on Wednesday, I was at the church uh, and I, I met one of you who are new to our church, and, and, uh, and, and they were here uh, to serve the homeless. They were here serving in the community hub. And if you remember, Wednesday is a nasty day. It was pouring rain, and they're out helping serve the least of these in our community. And you know, what they did on Wednesday as they served others was just as much an act of worship. It was just as much a liturgy as what they do on Sundays when they come and take the Lord's Supper. Because that's what we're called to do. That's what it means to be the people of God. And I know many of you are doing all kinds of things like that. Listen, you know this. Jesus has given us this mission. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, go into all the world. Go to the ends of the earth. And, and if you look where Jerusalem is on, on a map, and you look where Maple Ridge is on a map, we're pretty much at the ends of the world. And God has brought us to this place. He says, go into all the world, making disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you uh, happen to be in service today, today we did some baptisms. And, and we continue to baptize people because God continues to draw people by the power of His Spirit to come and to know Him and to follow Him. And we continue to baptize people because of what God is doing in people's lives. And He says, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And we're doing this too. I mean, we're preaching the Word of God. We're reading through the Scriptures together this year, cover to cover. We're launching our Essentials class, uh, classes, a number of classes at the end of January. And we want to disciple people to know and understand what it means. And we're, we're launching our community groups this coming week. And, and then we're walking together in community. And we're living together as we follow Jesus in this place because He has called us and He's given us this mission. You see, we... We do it because, because we're the people of God. 
Because He chose us. When we weren't worthy of being chosen. Because He rescued us. When we couldn't rescue ourselves. Because He saved us by becoming the Lamb of God and taking the price for our sins in our, in our place. And we do it because we're a holy nation. We, we are a people called to live in community, set apart differently because of what Jesus has done. And we serve and we worship, not just on Sunday mornings, but in all of life, because that's what God calls us to do as the people of God. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the story of the people of, of Israel. God, the, the, this incredible story of the night when they became a nation. God, it's so brilliant and so powerful. And what you call them to was to be a light to the nations, to live in light of, of who you are and what you did. But Father, that's the call on our life because of what Jesus has done. And Father, where we have not lived in light of that, would you forgive us? God, where we have not walked as a as a chosen people. Father, where we become whiny and complaining, where sometimes we have, we have become ungrateful. Father, forgive us for that. And Father, for, for where we have not walked in community the way you've called us to. Lord, would you grant us the courage? Father, you know it's not easy all the time. And yet God is rich and deep and meaningful as we do. And Father, may we, may we not just have a a personal mentality when it comes to our relationship with you. May it not just be me and Jesus, what Jesus does for me and what I've done for him. God, may it be what you're doing through us together as an act of worship, not only on Sunday mornings, but in all of our life. God, open the doors in our city for us to serve in all kinds of ways. God, that you might be lifted high, that we might, that we might declare the praises of you who called us out of darkness into your glorious light. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.